We are going to Judges tonight, Judges chapter 6, and we want to look at the uh, second uh, installment of our study of the life of Gideon, and as we look at this man, uh, so much we can learn from him. It's a good thing when trouble drives us to the Lord. Uh, sometimes I believe that's why we have trouble, so that we get driven to the Lord. Uh, it's, a, it's a blessing in our lives. It, it would be good for us if we responded to God's directives and did not have to be put into situations uh, that sometimes do drive us to the Lord. But we found in ju- Judges, as we opened up with chapter 6 last week, that Israel was in trouble. They have a, the problem with the Midianites are coming in, and for seven years they've watched as their crops are destroyed every year, all the work that they labor in their fields is just taken from them, Uh, And these Midianites are just being a real pest to their way of life here. And so verse 6 tells us the children of Israel cried unto the Lord. Now, the troubles with the Midianites caused Israel to cry out to the Lord and pray, which is a good thing. That's a good thing for us to cry out to the Lord in the time of trouble. Uh, But they needed, they felt, and they did, need a deliverer to come and deliver them from their oppressors, deliver them from the Midianites who were, Uh, really destroying their livelihood. Verses 7 and 8, when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, the Bible tells us the Lord sent a prophet. Yes, the children of Israel needed deliverance from the Midianites, but as we talked about last week, that was their secondary problem, not their primary problem. The primary problem of Israel was that they had been wicked, they had sinned. Uh, it was the, the cause of their problems was their sin, and they weren't praying about that part of it. They were praying for deliverance. And again, it's a good thing to come to God, but that wasn't their primary problem, uh, the, their oppression. The primary problem was their sin. And so what did God do? He did not send them a military commander yet. He's going to work on that in a little bit. We'll see. But he sent them a preacher, sent them a prophet. Uh, to deal with the issue, the root issue of their problem. Uh, you see, we are desperate in our lives, in our Christian lives, to fix our symptoms. We, we are constantly trying to fix symptoms in our life instead of getting to the root of the problem. God is concerned about the heart. God wants to get to the root of the problem. And uh, that's t- so to answer their prayer, he gave them not their request, but he gave them their need, and that is spiritual renewal. Tonight, I want to look at the, we'll start out with the preaching of this prophet and uh, look at what he had to say, how it applies to them, and of course, as all the Bible does, applies to us as well. So let's look, if we will, starting verse number 7. The Bible says, And it came to pass, when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord because of the Midianites, there's that, that's the problem with their prayer. It's a good thing they prayed, but they did not cry, uh, pray because of their sin, but because of their Midianites. How often in our lives do we pray because of the result of our sin rather than our sin itself? That's a lesson for us to remember. So the Lord in response, verse 8, that the Lord sent a prophet unto the children of Israel, which said unto them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt, brought you forth out of the house of bondage, and I delivered you out of the land of the Egyptians and out of the land of all that oppressed you and drave them out from before you, and gave you their land. And I said unto you, I am the Lord your God. Fear not the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but ye have not obeyed my voice. 
Now, now we'll pick up in verse 11 in a few minutes because that changes the scene when the angel Lord comes to Gideon. But let's look at this message just momentarily. The prophet had a great message. Uh, his message was what Israel needed then, but it's good for any age to look at the message that he has here. And again, it's not exactly what Israel was asking for, but it is what Israel got and it is what they needed. It had three parts in it. He talks about rescue. He reminded Israel that God had rescued them from the troubles in their past. Verse 9, I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all who oppressed you. This could be seen as a rebuke for not coming to God sooner. Again, remember the prayer was a delayed one. Israel watched what happened for seven years before they cried out to the Lord. It was also a reminder that God could still deliver them. It was a commendation to them. They came to the right place. God can deliver them out of their troubles. It is God, not idols, who can help Israel at this time. And it's the same thing in our lives is true today. It's God who helps us. I mean, we, we go to all kinds of places for help when the help, our help is in the Lord. Psalm 121 talks about that. Our messages need to remind people of the greatness of God and what He has done for us. You know, I, and this isn't a rebuke, because I'm in the same boat a lot of times, but uh, when, when we ask for blessings on Sunday night and Wednesday night, okay, so maybe a little bit rebuke. So if you take it that way, that's I don't mean it to be mean or anything, but we ought to have a blessing on our lips, shouldn't we? And sometimes it's, uh, it's tough as a preacher or a song leader, whoever's in the front there, and, and you know, we got, uh, we got 80 people here and no blessings. We ought to have blessings to, to recount for the Lord, Amen. So uh, that ought to, ought to be something to rem that we remind ourselves of all the time. So he first brought out rescue. Then he brought out the responsibility. The message reminded Israel of their responsibility to not go after other gods. God had commanded them, fear not the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, verse 10. Now, if God's the one that delivers us, if God's the one we can, if he's our very present help in time of trouble, and we oughtn't go to other gods, amen? That's a kind of, a, it's kind of an obvious uh, statement for us to recognize. Uh, it is only fitting that they should be loyal to the God who had delivered them. We have an obligation to be faithful to God for what He has done for us. Any other attitude that we have as a Christian is not only illogical, it's ungrateful. We ought to be uh, thankful to God. We ought to be uh, loyal to the Lord. We, we have an obligation to be faithful to Him because of what done for us. Let's never forget the one who's so faithful to us. Has God ever failed you? No, He hasn't. He's never failed me either. Yet we fail Him uh, so often. Let that inspire, then, service on our part. God is faithful. Let us be faithful as well. We're so concerned, even as Israel is here, about what God's going to do for us in our lives, what is he going to do for us rather than what we can do for him? We ought to be equally concerned at what he tells us to do for him. Our priority should not only be the promises of God, but the precepts of God. And so he talks about the rescue. He talks about all God did for them, but then it comes along with a responsibility. Don't go to other gods. Since I've done all these things for you, don't go to the gods, uh, the false gods of the Amorites, which is where Israel was seeped in idolatry. He finally talks about rebellion. The message rebuked Israel for their rebellion. The command to not go after other gods. And look what it says in verse 10. But, verse, uh, the last line, but ye have not 
obeyed my voice. Here's the crux of the matter. This is the problem. This, the problem is not primarily the Midianites. That's a symptom. The problem is they haven't obeyed God's voice. Uh, it emphasized their main trouble. It emphasized what they most needed uh, to fix in their lives. It, ought, it highlighted what they ought to pray about first. So when they came to God for deliverance, they should have first come repenting, but they didn't. Israel was primarily concerned about the consequences of their evil. God was primarily concerned about the cause of their evil. Israel was most concerned about their distress. God was more concerned about their disobedience. Israel was more concerned about their material problems. God was more concerned about the uh, spiritual problems in their life. So he was dealing with the root cause of their material problems, which are spiritual problems in their life. Again, how often in our life is our material problems a result of our spiritual problems? It's just a, something for us to consider. If the cause of the problem is not dealt with, then Israel wouldn't really be helped. Think about this. If they're delivered from the Midianites and they still worship idols, are they really helped? And so God had to go to the heart of the matter here and he sends a prophet. A prophet who indicts the people for their sin must precede a Gideon who delivers them from their suffering. Now that's a principle. It's not only a statement that applies here, but that's a principle for us. Before the people could be delivered from the evil of their circumstances, they must first become convicted about the evil of their conduct. Now this applies to all of us. We are all wrapped up in circumstances. We don't so much think about our conduct. This is always God's way. We just finished talking about John the Baptist. What did God do with John the Baptist? He sent John the Baptist to prepare the people. He came preaching repentance. Before a Savior came on the scene, they had to have a prophet come and proclaim to the people their sinfulness. We must preach the holiness of God before the redemption of God can be properly appreciated. Uh, we've got to be burdened about our sin before we can be saved. Amen? We've got to recognize our sin. That's a, the, when I witness to people or give the gospel to somebody, I usually just go through the ABCs. Number one, admit you're a sinner. That's the first step right there. If we can't get past that point, there's no need to go any further in the gospel message. We've got to admit that we're a sinner. So far, in my, all my years that I have uh, done this, I have only met one person that was perfect, that hadn't, didn't have sin in her life. She was a middle-aged lady, and she was sinless. So, the only one I've ever met. Uh, of course, it was a claim, not a reality, as you can imagine, but uh, most people recognize they're sinners. We need to recognize that. That's the first step. A church that asks for God's help shouldn't be surprised if he sends a preacher to preach against sin rather than immediately getting the help materially speaking. Does that make sense? It's in our lives, uh, our Christian lives as well. So I can tell you though, most assuredly, people don't like this order. We like to get the problem taken care of. We don't like to deal with the heart first. We like to take care of the symptoms, the, the circumstance that's bothering us. The people in Jesus' day were much more concerned about the tyranny of Rome than they were about their need for a Savior. Remember, they got, we, we celebrate Palm Sunday. They're all hooping and hollering and waving palm branches and laying their coats down. Why? Because they found their deliverer. A week later, they find, or, or the following week, they're 
maybe some of the same crowd shouting crucify him, crucify him because he wasn't the type of deliverer that they wanted. People like to be delivered out of their circumstances. They're not so concerned about the need of the heart. And we need to make sure that that's where we focus in our own lives. Governments spend billions on welfare, dealing, uh, trying to help people without ever dealing with the cause. Alcoholism, immorality, laziness, all kinds of issues that lead up to that. Churches even do this, try to preach a social gospel, trying to take people out of the gutter without ever taking the gutter out of the people which put them in the gutter in the first place. Sin is a root problem. Sin is a problem that we need to deal with. So this approach that uh, people take will not really solve problems if it doesn't deal with the root cause of the problem. I'll give you an example. At least once a week on average, we have people that come through and and, uh, try to get uh, financial help from the church. And we have, as you know, our church policy, we don't really have a, uh, like a giant fund to just, be, we're not a social organization, I always explain that. And, uh, but one, our policy is that you come to a church service and we'll talk to you about your financial need after the service. Why? Because that's the primary need, isn't it? Spiritual help, spiritual renewal, spiritual healing. That's the primary need that people have Uh, But that's not what most people are interested in. In fact, this isn't an official number, but I would say about 90% of the people, that's where it ends. Uh, Well, thank you very much, uh, no thanks, and they're they're gone. They're not interested in a spiritual help. We need to look in the heart. Listen, if you're struggling with circumstances in your life and you're begging God for deliverance, look inward. It doesn't mean that it's because of sin in your life. That isn't always the case, but that's where we ought to start. And uh, few people are willing to accept this today. So the preaching of the prophet set the stage for Gideon. Now we come to verse 11, and we see the call of Gideon here. There came an angel of the Lord and sat under an oak, which was in Orpah, uh, Oprah, that pertained unto Joash, the Abizanite, and his son Gideon threshed wheat by the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. And Gideon said unto him, O my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then is all this befallen us? And where be all his miracles which our fathers told us of, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord hath forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Now, with all that we just talked about, that's a pretty brazen response to the Lord, isn't it? Well, let's dig into it here. Uh, the first thing that Gideon was informed about is that essentially, not in these many words, but essentially God cares about your situation. In fact, the proclamation of God's care, the Lord is with thee. But it was met with a protest about God's care. If the Lord be with us, then why has this befallen us? God said he cared. Gideon said, no you don't. He disagreed with him. Let's look at both claims. Let's look at the proclamation of God's care. He said, I am with thee. Now, this speaks volumes. He was for his people. He was concerned for his people. He would provide for his people. Obviously, this is evidenced in him having heard their cry of distress. Obviously, it's evidenced in him sending a prophet to them. And his coming to Gideon is is further proof of this care. He found Gideon threshing wheat by the winepress. He was hiding it from the Midianites. Things were very bad in Israel. But God cared enough to come to where Gideon was, reveal himself, and uh, speak of deliverance. One of the great evidences of God's care for us is God's presence with us. 
That's one of the greatest blessings of being a Christian is God's presence. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. We can survive the worst of trials if the Lord is with us. I think of Joseph in the Bible. You know all the bad things that happened to Joseph. He's sold into slavery in Egypt. He served in Potiphar's house as a slave in a strange land. But the Bible says in Genesis 39, 2, the Lord was with Joseph. And then life got worse. I mean, now he was falsely accused by Potiphar's wife. He's thrown in prison, and uh, they uh, put him down there. Who knows if he'd ever get out. But in Genesis 39, 23, it says again, but the Lord was with Joseph. When the Lord's with us, we don't need to question whether or not he cares for us. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. When he is with us, there is no circumstance we can't overcome with his presence. But now look at the protest. Gideon's answer to him, O my Lord, if the Lord be with us, then why has all this befallen us? Now, it's very hard for a man to believe that God is with him and cares for him when he is in the midst of turmoil. Isn't it the same for us? I mean, it's different. I just talked to somebody last week, and great man of God, great Christian, has some of these questions, struggles with these questions. When life is falling apart, when there's turmoil, it's hard to believe that you possess great spiritual blessings when materially you're doing very poorly. We're human. That's how it is. Look, if, I'm, if I've got a life-threatening disease, it's hard sometimes for me to, que- to, to, to know that God loves me and God cares for me. It's hard to tell people that when, when you're trying to minister to them even. This is Gideon's situation. Now, and so, so walking by sight rather than faith, he, he really kind of lashed out at God. He came back pretty strongly. And we might ask, how dare he do that? Yet we do the same thing. That question, if the Lord be with us, why then is all this befallen us? In today's language, if God loves me, why is this happening to me? I can't tell you how many times I hear that question. If God loves me, why did he allow this to happen then? If God is a God of love, why? Finish the Finish uh, fill in the blanks. I hear that a form of that question often in my ministering to people. Gideon objected to the idea that God cares in three complaints. He talked about the justice of God, the power of God, and the faithfulness of God. Let's look at all three very quickly. It, it wasn't a good thing to do. It was a mistake. But I bring these up because it's common for us to question these things in our life as well. In the midst of turmoil, trial, trouble. Look at what he starts out with. He talks about the justice of God. Why then is all this befallen us? The question blames God for Israel's trouble. It accuses God of being unjust in his dealings with Israel. Why then is this befallen us? It asks God why he's letting these troubles come on them with the assumption that it's an unfair thing that he does. It's a question that ignores the real cause of the problem prefers to cast the blame on God. Remember the cause of the problems found in verse 10, but ye have not obeyed my voice. That's the main cause. And it's not like Gideon could plead ignorance. He knew the rampant idolatry in the land. His own dad had an altar of Baal in his house. We're going to see later. Gideon's not ignorant to the fact that they're serving idols. But Gideon, like so many of us, shut his eyes to the real cause that was right before him and blame God instead. See, I would never do that. Yeah, we do that, though, sometimes. 
we, we ignore the cause and point our finger to God. We'll never solve our troubles until we look into the mirror and come to grips with the real cause of our trouble. And sometimes it's right here. Uh, blaming God will never bring any solution because God is never the one to blame for our trouble. Sometimes he allows it. Now, again, you saying, preacher, that means if I'm sick, that's because I've sinned. Not at all. Sometimes God allows things in our life. We see that in the life of Job. I'm just saying it's a good place to start. It's a good place to start uh, for us to look and see uh, if there's something we did uh, to bring the trouble on. This reason, uh, the reason why is sometimes sitting right at our doorstep. I think of Cain. Cain's offering was rejected. What did he do? He got mad at God. The Bible says he was very wroth. And God comes back at him with a question, Genesis 4, 7, If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? If thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. It's a great statement. God said it to Cain. Look, Cain, have you considered the fact that maybe the problem is you? Not me, but you. We don't like to do that. We don't like to look inward. We like to put the blame out on others. You ever raise kids? How many of them? How many kids? Yeah, it's my fault. I rarely, I rarely hear that. Usually it's his fault. It's her fault. I didn't do it. I didn't eat it. I didn't touch it. Uh, blaming other people is natural. We grow into adulthood, then we grow completely out of that, don't we? No, we don't. We still do that. We still blame other people, and sometimes we do it to the Lord. We envy and hate and then blame God for fightings and wars. We live immorally, wonder why so many marriages fail. We're greedy and violent, wonder why crime takes the day. We need to look inward, not only as people, but as a society. The problem is not God's inadequacy. The problem is man's iniquity. That's what the problem was here in Israel. But yet Gideon, he has the gall to come back at God like he does. He talks about the power of God. Where are all his miracles, which our fathers told us of, saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? I mean, if I was standing beside Gideon, I might just, you know, do one of those, because he's coming on pretty strong to God. I'll show you a miracle. You know, if we were God, we probably would, would uh, respond a little differently than God's patience. But here's, he's protesting God's power. Because of the Midianites, Gideon decided that or is claiming that God lacked the power to provide deliverance. Gideon's problem here is our problem many times in our troubles, mistaking God's will for God's power. Now think about that. Sometimes, does God have the power to remove trouble from your life? Absolutely. It might not be his will, though. And it's hard for us to understand, and that sounds like a really cruel statement. If you don't, I don't want to embarrass you, but you don't mind me using it as an example, Vonda. Uh, giving a testimony on Sunday night, thankful for the cancer? That's, we, now we, we, it's hard to be thankful during the time we're going through it. But now, looking back, maybe that's God brought me through that to teach me something. Or you, you heard the testimony if you were here. What a, what a blessing that is. Uh, so now, as a pastor, I can't, yeah, I know you're really sick, but it's God's will that you're sick. You know, we don't go around doing that either, but it is good for us to recognize in our own hearts that let us, let's, let's not always mistake God's power for his will. God can do what he needs to do. We need to be submissive to his will. 
uh, if God is not willing, we conclude God is not able. And that's not the case. God is able. We need to be uh, willing to uh, let his will be done. God has the right, I think we'd all agree with this, he has the right to exercise his power according to his purpose. Wouldn't you agree with that? We don't know what that is, always. We don't always understand it. We're so slow, though, to recognize that it is sometimes our sins that stop his willingness to help us. Let me read you another verse. Isaiah 59, verse 1. This verse talks about exactly what we're going over here. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save. Neither his ear heavy, that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and God. That verse is very clear. It's not that God can't, but sometimes we get in our own way. I forget which preacher that said it, but uh, if, you, if you were able to kick the, the person primarily responsible for your troubles, if you're able to kick him in the, in the seat of the pants, you wouldn't be able to sit down for a week because we are the, pro- the source of our own problems often. And uh, we, need to just, we need to face that. Now, finally, he talks about the faithfulness of God. Look how it ends it up. The Lord hath forsaken us. What a statement to make. This was Gideon's complaint about God's care. The Lord had forsaken. He had it 100% backwards. The truth was that God had not forsaken Israel, but Israel had forsaken God. God was not unfaithful. Israel was unfaithful. Israel had gone after Baal. So they're worshiping false gods. They're worshiping idols. And then as soon as trouble comes, they claim God had forsaken them. Man, isn't that just how... Can you believe those Israelites? Hey, how about those Americans, those American Christians too? We all do the same thing. It's an amazing thing how we think. Unbelief always blames God for doing what it itself has been doing. We fail uh, to accuse, uh, we fail in our own life, or we fail in, uh, we, we, we get caught up in sin, or we do wrong in our life, and rather than acknowledge our guilt, we accuse God of doing that sin. This is exactly what Gideon did here. Exactly what Israel had done, he accused God of doing. You've forsaken us. What a thing to say. We see this sometimes at church when people complain the church does not care about them. The truth of the matter is often they don't care that much about the church. Gideon's protest about God's care did not reveal any faults in God. It never does. The, the, all these things that Gideon said, and man, the patience that God had with him, but the things he said, it did not reveal any faults in God. It revealed that Gideon had a long way to go uh, in his relationship with God before he becomes Israel's deliverer. It showed why God had to show up and do a little work in Gideon's heart. Before Gideon delivers his people, he, he himself must be right with God. And it's got to be this way with God's servants. Now look at verse number 14. <laughs> the Lord looked on him, upon him and said, Go in this thy might, and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent thee? I, I think, I don't know, it's it just raised a question in my own mind as I read this. God didn't answer one of his, uh, one of his uh, accusations. Did you notice that? Just totally skipped over it. Okay, Gideon, <laughs> now that you got that out of your system, uh, go in this thy mouth, thou shalt save Israel. I, I just, 
the, the mercy and grace and love and patience and long-suffering of the Lord constantly amazes me. For Gideon to say this to him, and he just, you're going to be the one to deliver Israel. I don't know, it's just amazing to me. Uh, he's the person for the commission here. Gideon, humanly speaking, is not a likely candidate. Uh, he comes on the scene here, cynical of God's care. He's filled with doubts and unbelief. Also, his station in life, he's an insignificant farmer who lived in an insignificant town. Like the rest of the Israelites, he's hiding from the Midianites. There's nothing about him that screams out, this is a brave warrior who can deliver, deliver the Israelites. But in spite of this situation, in verse 12, the angel of God called him a mighty man of valor. That was probably as big a surprise to Gideon as it would be to anybody else to hear that. A mighty man of valor. Who, me? That's what he said to Gideon. There's nothing in Gideon's life that indicated he was a mighty man of valor. But God does not see as man sees. God looks at the heart. Man looks on the outward appearance. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7 talks about that. And, and I like that. I love the, I love the, the in that chapter, 1 Samuel 16 is where they chose David. And, uh, you know, remember Samuel's looking at all his older brothers. Man, this guy looks like a king. He, no, haven't chosen him. And then he picks David, the young, ruddy child, essentially, because God looks at the heart. He doesn't look at the outward appearance. God sees you not always just as you are, but as you can be, what he can do through you. Mighty man of valor, this is interesting, was only known to God at this time. Nobody else saw Gideon as a mighty man of valor. Gideon certainly didn't see himself as a mighty man of valor, but God did. I think that's interesting. And guess what? God doesn't make mistakes. Did you know that too? He doesn't. He's always dead on. And Gideon will prove that God was correct in what he calls him there. Now, when God calls people into service who may not at the time show much promise, he does so because it's not the man himself that makes him great. It's God who does it. It is what God can make of that man, not what the man is in, in, in and of himself. Look all throughout the Bible at who God uses. He uses some really unlikely people to accomplish his purposes. David and Goliath using a boy with a slingshot. I was uh, hanging out with Micah last night for a while, and we did a whole bunch of slingshot shooting. Well, I wouldn't have wanted to take a giant on with my skills <laughs> I had on that thing. Taking a warrior on, God used him though. We just got to learn to submit ourselves to God's plan, his purpose for our life, and let God make you what you need to be. He'll, he'll, do, his, he'll do his work through you. It's not by your power that you accomplish anything anyway. It's God's power that does it through you. Don't be discouraged tonight here if you have little ability. Don't be discouraged if you are a nobody, so to speak. Nobody's really a nobody, but you know what I mean. Sometimes we see ourselves that way. Don't be discouraged by that. Yield yourself completely to God, and he'll make you able to do great things and serve him. It wasn't Gideon, but it was God who worked through Gideon that uh, got him, uh, that, that, that won the victory that we'll see he wins later. It's exactly what God wants. 1 Corinthians, I'll close with this passage. 1 Corinthians 1.27. I want you to think about this. Because we find ourselves here in this verse. God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound 
the wise. Now, again, if you just if you put on your little thinking cap, you think about how many times we've seen that in society uses the foolish things to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And base things of the world, and the things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are. In other words, God doesn't need your talents. He doesn't need your abilities. He does not need your muscles and your knowledge. He just needs a willing servant. He'll provide the power, the strength. He'll do all that. You just be willing to be used by him. He gives us the reason in the last line of 1 Corinthians 1.29 that no flesh should glory in his presence. Now, when Gideon does what Gideon does, is anybody honestly going to say, yeah, man, those 300 are some good fighters. They took those hundreds of thousands of Midianites on. They really are some great. No, no, 300, it's God that did it. Obviously, it was God that did it. And so that's what he wants to do. He doesn't want flesh to glory in his presence. He wants us to give the glory to him. And uh, so a couple of, couple of different lessons. Now we kind of took two sections here. We talked about the message, and those are things that we need to remember as well, uh, that uh, we, we don't make the mistake of putting the focus on the problems of our circumstances. We want to look at the root cause, and if there's an area in our life we need to shore up, we take care of that, and you watch God work out the circumstances. And then the second kind of half that we went off in a different is uh, the, the fact that God does care. Uh, let us never make the mistake of, of accusing God of doing exactly what we're doing. So like Gideon did here. Take those things and let's learn from this uh, passage of Scripture. I think there's a lot here for us to apply to our own lives. So next week we're going to look at the, the job God had for him. And how Gideon responds at first. Uh, it's just the whole story of Gideon. He did, he did, he did a great thing and he obeyed. But uh, Gideon was no, he wasn't that special of a guy. It, God just did something really special through him. So he can do the same for you. Father, we thank you.